Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is uh, episode 163 of The Informed Catholic, episode 163. And we're going to do the readings for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. I would be greatly appreciated of that. So, let's begin with the uh, opening prayer, which is the act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to people of goodwill. We praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's begin our readings. All right, our first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 18 to 24, the first book of Moses, of the five books of Moses. The two of them become one flesh. A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and various birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each of them would be its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and all the wild animals, but none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, the man said, 
This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man, for out of her man, this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, the this first reading, it's actually very, very important. I mean, there's a novel I'm listening to called uh, Eden. Uh, the author of it, I mentioned it before, hold on. Brennan McPherson, that's his name. Brennan McPherson, he's... Um, a Christian writer, um, I'm going to take a guess, evangelical. But if you, uh, I've listened to the audible version of uh, of his um, his novel. He does the reading himself. It's really good. I like the way he focused on it. He he didn't go into um like high fantasy uh, too much. He didn't go into apocryphal. Um, um, th theories, rather he 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 really grounded the novel and and the way he portrayed God in his novel because remember it is, in a sense yes it's based on scripture but at the same time it is fantasy. Um, was I think I liked it. It was very it was very good. It was very good. I think he he understood the need. Um, what to present to the reader i mean you know you're focusing on genesis uh and he doesn't he didn't want to go too much into the apocryphal uh books too much because many of them kind of really go out there in a sense and i understand that he could have done it and i think he would probably have done a good job uh either way uh but anyway um i'm digressing um uh, the purpose of Genesis 1 is to show that God is a creator. That's number one. That God is our father and a creator. The second part is to show uh, that obviously man comes from God, which pretty much says everything in the first part, right? That God is creator. But the third is to show that man man's deep relationship with God, humanity's deep relationship with God. That, you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God and that we come from God and are, are we basically go back to God. Um, we go back to him saved or we go back to him uh, under judgment, damnation. And then, of course, that doesn't mean we stay with him as Dan, but we are, in a sense, uh, we come back to him um, pretty much we have to present our good works and our bad works and we could stay we could have eternal joy and happiness with him and you know and or we could we we wind up we wound up experiencing 
eternity cut off from him. And I think the problem is because um, there's one part I like um, the problem, I think, with us as human beings, not uh, anything else. It's us is that we have a hard time acknowledging that. We don't want to acknowledge it for some reason, uh, especially judgment. Uh, we live in a culture now where where um, we coddle sin. We coddle bad behavior. We make excuses for it. Psychological abuses, emotional abuses, uh, social justice uh, problems. But we don't want to acknowledge sin as sin. We don't acknowledge that this is the, the, the spiritual disease that makes us act and behave badly. Now, the other part of this passage is it was man's awareness. You notice what he did. He had him be presented him. Bef uh, he, he showed him all the animals and he gave man the power to name the animals, to give them a name. And that was their name. The power to, to you know, in other words, to it's a, it's a way of, of understanding our world, to be aware of our world. And at the same time, he gave us the world as a gift. And this was this was going to be the place we we're going to dwell in. Right? He he, the Lord, our God, our Father, gave us the ability to name our world. To name our world is means this is our world. Now he also wanted man to be aware what he is not. The fact that God is with him, God was with the man, and he tore, he gave him a tour of this world and gave him the ability to be aware of what this world is and what he is and what he is not is a very important thing. Now, look what's happening now in our world today. We're getting people now who say to us one thing because we're religious and because we hold on to our religious beliefs and because we, we, we cling on to it, that we are stupid and that we are primitive and that we are savage or Neanderthals and uh, we don't want to trust science. And at the same time as they're telling us to trust science, they're going around basically with the ability to say, well, science doesn't define my sexuality. Science doesn't define uh, define me as a man or define me as a woman or define me as whatever I sexuality I choose to be. Um, so therefore, I, um, you know, I can choose whatever sexuality I want. They're telling us science is the supreme ruler of reason. And they're telling us at the same time that it's not, that they can choose whatever sexuality they want. And in a sense, and then they don't just, they, they, they impose this ideology. They impose it. They want to indoctrinate children into it. This is basically a corruption of sin. This is a result of what sin is. It affects us psychologically. It affects us mentally. It affects us intellectually. 
it, it affects us in a way that is very that 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 doesn't just destroy the individual; it destroys our family, and it destroys you know it, it basically destroys our we're destroying our environment too, the gift the world that God gave us, because it's it's constantly rampant. It's a it's it's a it's it's a it's a horrible spiritual disease. It's a mental disease. It's cut off from our creator, cut off. We, it cuts us off spiritually, even from ourselves and our families and our children. And it just gets worse. So you see this now when we come in back to the text, going back to the text, when man was aware that none of the creatures matched him. This is something that God was helping him to come to come to be aware. God, he didn't come to this conclusion just by himself. He came up to his conclusion that he was alone by looking to his creator to realize all of them have a partner. There's two of them, really. But where am I? You know, how come there's not another one of me that matches me? This is what God wanted him to see. And then what does it say in the text? It is not good for man to be alone. The other creatures didn't, didn't come to this awareness. They were, they are aware of it. They are aware of what they are. Only up to a level, but not an awareness where they can control and and explore their environment. They're they're made they're made good to the limit that God meant them to be. They don't need the intellectual and spiritual awareness that man needed, that God gave man, and this is part of the image that that God. Uh, put into man an awareness of self an awareness of the world but also an awareness of your creator that only your creator can give you this answer not just to yourself you're aware that up to a point of, of realizing that yourself is not complete but you don't look to yourself to find completeness you look to your creator to find completeness. This is why we pray. We pray. We don't just look to ourselves. Many of the great, many of these people have noticed, especially in the art world, the intellectual world, don't look to God, but they look to themselves. And, it, and, and still, even when they look to themselves, when they look to themselves to find a solution, it's never good for them. It's never satisfying to them. It's constant um, uh, frustration with them. You know, uh, constant frustration. They have to, they have to, it's, it's a pride. It's a pride and vanity. When you just only look to yourself, it's a pride and vanity. Remember what Lucifer did. I will ascend to the heavens. I will achieve greatness. You know, 
event with human beings, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just as, just as much as Lucifer, it's a corruption and it, and it becomes a self-loathing of self. But when we look to God, we look to God for him to complete ourselves, to complete us, to find, to give, to give us what we need only because God knows what we need. And eventually he gave him Eve. In a, in, I like what, what the, this guy um, McPherson says in his novel. In a sense, uh, in, 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 in the uh, post, uh, uh, post part of the book where he explains, literally it was, it, was, it was a first surgery. He takes a rib from man in a flesh, closes up the place where he took it out of Adam, out of the man, and created a woman. Almost like a a cloning, you could say, but different. And Adam and Adam noticed it. She was like me, but not like me. She was sleeker. She was her body was different, more smooth. More, I mean, there obviously was a complete stark difference. She was made for him, but she wasn't him. At the same time, she was something else. Her hair was longer. And I like what he did. He, the, the, the character of Adam, he made him a dark brown man. Uh, and Eve was, was almost like he's describing as somewhere between African and South Asian Indian. And she definitely was a challenge to him because that's what, that's what she's supposed to be. She's a, a a challenge to the personality, and that's what women do. They challenge men, right? They put men on the spot and challenge them, in a sense. And that we we you know, I mean, how many guys don't uh, really do like that? That the woman does challenge the man, and the personality wise, emotional wise, intellectual wise, they challenge men. And that's, and the two become one flesh. She comes out of him physically, spiritually and mentally and emotionally. And she, and he become again, one in a metaphor, spiritually, mentally, physically, spiritually, but at the same time, still remaining two. And that's, and what does Adam say? This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of her man, out of her man, this one has been taken out of her man. She, the man belongs to her. She came out of him because, you know, in a sense, God was wants to show the deep importance of men and women. But now we live in a society that doesn't want to show that, that wants to destroy that. And we can't, we, we, we mustn't do that. We have to look at these words like, I like what the writer said. He used a very Tolkien way of expressing true myth. In other words, it's myth, but truth. It's told in poetry. It's told in metaphor. It's told an allegory. It's told philosophically. It's meant to be something that you keep digging deep into. It's not meant to be something that you can be satisfied with just one interpretation. It is truth. 
Yes, it can be and should be looked on as historical truth, but it is also a spiritual truth. It is also a philosophical truth. It is also an allegorical truth. It is also uh, a metaphor truth. It is something that you got to keep digging deep into in order to you to find, to define meaning because it's not something that has to be settled with just one meaning. It has, you know, you have to, you have to evolve. There's a, there's a certain structure for religious. Uh, when you read the Bible, you don't read the Bible once in your life. There's a reason why Christians, Jews keep coming back to the scriptures over and over again to find more meaning. It's, it's meant to recharge you. Like you go to a gas station or go to charge your phone. You go back every single time to read the scriptures to re-experience beauty. Not also the, the same way you did the first time, but you go back to experience it over and over again. Because just like you see people go to a um Go back to their favorite movie. Go back to their favorite poetry. Go back to their favorite um, um, painting. The Bible is is sort of the same way, but it's also more. It's more. It's meant to rejuvenate you with God's truth. God's literal truth. God's spiritual truth. And more. You have to go back in order to find, because the world is draining. You're constantly being attacked left and right. You're constantly being told how to think and how to breathe and how to, to see the world in a way that is contrary to your own, to your own well-being. You go back to the Bible to reground yourself, to strengthen yourself. And that's why, that's why we do that. That's why we go back and read the scriptures. That's why we go back and pray the scriptures. All right, let's go back. Uh, let's go to the next one. All right, so now let's get to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 and the response is, May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. May the Lord bless us. All the days of our lives. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Blessed are you who, f who fear the Lord, who walks in his ways. For you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In the recesses of your homes, of your home, your children like olive plants around your table. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord blesses you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Again, 
um, this here, the church, by the under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picks this this uh, particular psalm. Now, I think the reason why it's okay. There's one thing I didn't say in the first reading. This is also rec uh, pointing to Christ and his church. Again, remember I told you the different levels of interpretation. This particular interpretation is a definite must. It's a must because you have to, again, this is also talking about Christ and his church. That's one thing I forgot to mention, and I'm sorry. It is meant to point to Christ and the relationship with his church. Because on the cross, remember, John the apostle points to how a Roman soldier came and pierced his side. Okay, pierced, pierced the side of our Lord and that out of him came blood and water. Um, and that, in a sense, is a callback to Adam. Adam is a call forward to Christ. Eve is a call forward to the church and that the piercing of his side the piercing is a call back to Adam as a picture of Christ and Eve as the picture of the church you see this is this is definitely a must now why a piercing instead of taking flesh and bone out well that's already been done but because the fall, because Christ came to liberate us from the fall, from the control of sin, the control of sin, that the first Adam and the first Eve commit, uh, put human, humanity into, this is also a way like for Christ to break the bonds, to pierce through. Remember, when Jesus came to be baptized, this is only said in Mark's gospel, but it actually says it in all uh, three synoptic. The heavens were ripped apart. The sin of Adam and Eve caused the heavens to be sealed. This was done by the fault of our parents because of, their, uh, of, their, uh, of the fact that they disobeyed God that was the consequences. Christ came and he came to undo it. His mother Mary is also the new Eve. The first Eve came out of the Adam. The second Adam came out of the new Eve. It's a lot going on in there. You see, you, there's different. But this interpretation is something that is a must that, that there was no, there's different there's some interpretations that cannot be challenged this one is the church believes it and it should not be challenged protestants of course challenge it to some degree but i don't think orthodox christians would disagree with it i i don't believe they would and this is something that many of the church fathers have spoken anyway but this particular psalm is talks about the grace, the, 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 the grace and love of God that would be passed down through all those who come through Christ and his church 
And this is what it talks about. Uh, blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed are you. Blessed, blessed shall you be and, and favored. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your homes. Your children like olive plants around your table. Sort of pointing to the through the sacrament, to, to the to the Eucharist. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord, the individual who lives in, in, uh, you know, in the sacraments of Christ. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The church is the new Jerusalem. May you see your children and your children's ch uh, children. Peace be upon Israel. It could talk about the individual, but it also talks about Christ and all those who are, who are born from the sacraments. There's, like I said, there's different levels of interpretation. And you just basically have to, you know, as a, as a, as a Catholic, once you learn how to read the Bible this way, because a lot of Catholics have to learn to live in the sacrament and Catholics should learn to read the Bible. There's so many, there's no excuse why any Catholic can't teach themselves this because you have so many things that are accessible to you now that other generations didn't. There's a lot of like, um, Kindle uh, books book, the, of the church fathers out there. You can learn this, study this, put your time into it. It just takes a few moments. It doesn't take a lot. And when you make it in good habit, you'll begin to see how, how you do this. You can also listen to podcasts and it, you know, it just takes a moment, you know, I mean, seriously, once you learn how to do it, I mean, you can live without the sports games for a while. You can live without the news for a while. I listen to a lot of news, but I also, I also like to listen to a lot of Catholic programs. And there's always ways you can do this. The problem is some people, I think, just uh, they struggle with it because maybe because it's not a, a habit that they were they developed as kids. Maybe because. You know, they just, I don't know, they just don't don't have the passion to. But there's a lot of ways you can do this. All right, let's move on. All right, the next one is a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. He who consecrates uh, and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Brethren, he for a little while was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leaders, uh, the leader to the salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. All right. It's a little difficult, but let's go back. Brethren, he for a little while was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about our Lord and, 
you know, there's a part, I think, in, um, I can't remember if it was Galatians or Philippians. I wish I could remember. Darn it. That uh, being God, he did not see, he did not see this be, uh, as something to, to exploit, to show off. But decided to lower himself, you know, became a slave. And so he became, like here Hebrews says, lower than the angels. Okay? Uh, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for all of us. He willingly, dis as God, emptied himself or put aside his glory and became a man. And and also and and men, men unfortunately are bound and uh, and are slaves to sin. He himself is not bound and slave to sin, because he is God. But he took he decided to participate in our in our humanity. But here's the thing. Man, humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. So it is his image by right but because by nature he is god the image and and since he created man man the image of man belongs to him our nature belongs to him but because we are creatures and since he gave us free will he gave adam and eve free will we we are we inherited the the the, the free will of adam and our free will and our and our and our and our you know nature intellectually and spiritually, we are uh, unfortunately under the chain of sin, which is a nature that is cut off from God, and therefore, unfortunately, the devil tricked us. So we are, in a sense, bound to him because he he convinced us to taste to, to of that disobedience. That's what sin is. Sin is a state of being cut off from God and a state of disobedience. So our nature is bound. So but he came and he took upon himself, you know, uh, our nature, but without sin. You know, he was in a state of perfect, 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 um, spiritual state as a human being because he was not he cannot be bound to sin but at the same time he understands our nature he understands what's going what's bothering us that's the that's what makes it great he understands what is holding us back he understands what we're struggling with and that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of it it's sort of like a stealth mode you know uh he understands um each individual he understands all of us. He can look into us and he can see what we're, what we're struggling with. That's the beauty of it. And that's what the letter of Hebrews is saying here. And then he goes, for it was fitting that he for whom and through him all things exist. You see? In bringing many children to glory should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrated and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to be to call them brethren. Okay? Go back again. He, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So he did it for all of us. 
for it was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So you see, Jesus Christ understands all of us because he partakes in our humanity. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're struggling. And he knows what our needs are. <coughs> Better than we know ourselves. But at the same time, he's not going to violate our uh, individuality, our free, our, our free will. We have to, um, we have to learn to direct our will. We have to learn to use that intellect he gives us to respond to him, to pray. That's why prayer and grace and the sacraments help help us to strengthen our free will that we can respond to God better. All right, let's move on. Okay. Now we go to the gospel of Mark. Uh, Alleluia Antiphon. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is brought to perfection in us. Alleluia, Alleluia. This is from the first letter of St. John, chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, what God has... Join together, let no one separate. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. This is from chapter 10, verse 2 to 16. And then there's also, it goes from 2 to 12. We're going to read the whole thing, even the one that's captioned. I don't like when they do that. All right. Um, the Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, What did Moses command you? They replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. In the house, the disciples again questioned Jesus about this. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And people were bringing children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became in, in, indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what we have here is an argument over marriage in this particular scene here. The Pharisees, the, the name means separated ones. And we shouldn't group all the Pharisees together, just like in any um, human organization, there were different um, orders of Pharisees, different, uh, let's say, uh, tribes, I guess you can call it, or, you know, different political uh, groups of Pharisees. They, they, were all, they were not all the same. Some were more conservative than others, more extreme. Others were, uh, were more intellectual than the others. Maybe they were a little bit more looser, maybe uh, tolerant. You could say the word tolerant. And you can see that in the show. The Chosen is actually trying to do that. They're trying to show that not all Pharisees were the same. Some were probably more liberal. Liberal. And, uh, you know, and maybe, like I said, the more extreme ones could be more dangerous, that they were more, uh, uh, maybe even less tolerant and, and less friendly towards women. You know what I mean? Kind of like almost the way you can see uh, different Muslim groups who enforce certain laws, like you see in Afghanistan or Iran or Saudi Arabia, the, the, way, the, way, the way they are. And it's, it's obvious. Um, now, uh, others were probably more favorable towards the Sadducees, the ones who control the temple, like Caiaphas and Annas. And then you might see others that one might have been more favorable towards Herod, Antipas. You're gonna, you know, not all of them are the same. And we tend to do that because we're looking at it from Western lens. So we think because we see a Pharisee on TV, you know, and I don't know what a real Pharisee was like, I mean, you know, in person, but the day, today you hear many modern Jews say that the modern rabbinical system that they have today came from the Pharisees. So you get an idea there. Now you see different groups of Jews. Some like you got the Hasids and they're probably different Hasids. You see other Orthodox, but they're different kinds of Orthodox as well. Different schools of thought. Maybe that's the best word we use. We have, there's different schools of thought. And, and that in itself was like, was like that in Jesus day. Because you had Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. And then you had others who uh, maybe completely different ways of, of interpreting laws or something. You know, anyway, so we're going back and forth in there. But that's, that's basically it. So here they're coming and they're challenging Jesus on marriage. Now, I think the reason why they went to him is because they were arguing over uh, marriage and divorce, okay? And then therefore they decided to bring the argument to Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus of Nazareth corrects, corrects the whole situation by going to creation, going to scripture and pointing to what, what, what it says in scripture. And he makes it quite clear that divorce was never in God's intention. It was never God's plan that Moses himself was sort of like compelled to put a letter of divorce 
And the story has it, of course, that some Pharisees, were, uh, some people, some Jews were using uh, any loophole to get rid of their wives, even to the point where accusing them of something unclean so they can get their wives divorced. A woman would have to be stoned to death. And Moses himself was probably realizing what they were doing, so he had to come up, he came up with, with um, the divorce certificate so the woman wouldn't be put to death. But sadly, it was also a humiliation that her husband would uh, divorce her, probably keeps the kids and he lives them in the home with his, with his second wife and gets rid and sends the woman away, which is a very hor horrible thing, which is, you know, I mean, look at today's divorces, you know, but it's still, it was still a horrible thing. Jesus comes in and boom, and he ends it. He shows them it was never in God's intention for divorce. He, he sends them right back to the Garden of Eden, what marriage was supposed to be intended. But we live in a fallen world. Now, does that mean that no divorce means happily ever after? Obviously, we're not foolish. We know that's not true. Okay, sadly. But it does, it should make people think carefully about marriage and carefully about who you choose as a husband and a wife, right? It should be considered. Of course, in that, in that culture, marriages were arranged. And in Middle East, sometimes in some places in the Middle East, it still is. It's a tough thing. You really have to choose carefully who you want to spend the rest of your life with. And you should know the person you're spending the rest of your life with. All right. Um, it's, uh, you know, that's why prayer is important. Uh, I think the picking a partner who is serious about faith, but serious, but also not just faith, but serious about what love is, right? What does marriage mean to the person? I mean, obviously, you want to be in love with the person you're married to. You want that person to be someone you could always be in love with. You want to know their spiritual life, how they, you know, how they what they believe marriage is, what they, you know, how they view marriage, how they view family. All those things are important. All those things are important. And that's why it's not something that can, um, it, it can be resolved easily. You have to make sure that this person is serious about their faith and understands what, you know, what relationship with God is. If, if the person that you're marrying is not serious about faith, and they don't match, they, they don't, uh, they're not agreeable with your understanding of what faith is, then maybe, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on in there. There's a lot going on in there. But there's a lot, I think, that it's not easy, even for myself. I'm not married. And, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, my experiences with relationship is not perfect, you know, myself. But it's obvious, you know, it's something that has to be, carefully thought out with their, with both with both people all right let's move on to the closing prayer i believe in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible i believe in one lord jesus christ the only begotten son of god born before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. 
Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. And by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.